Welcome to Tea Talks. We're so glad to have you here. Today we got James Schulte, one of our close friends from college. So excited to catch up with him. Tim, you want to say hi? Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, like Ethan mentioned, welcome back to Tea Talks. This is like episode nine or 10. Um, another podcast where Ethan and I just chill, catch up with each other, and most importantly, catch up with our new guests. This week, we have James Schulte from uh, the, the Cal Poly uh, San Luis Obispo College that we went to in undergrad. He's here joining us all the way out from Philly. Uh, James, you want to say hi? <laughs> yeah. Hey, guys. Thank you very much for having me on. It is an absolute pleasure to join you guys and to, uh, to hang out for a bit and catch up. So I'm, I'm very excited to be here. Thank you very much. Awesome. James, do you want to give a quick intro about yourself? I know we mentioned college, but um, yeah, like quickly, like what have you been up to? Or actually, that's the whole podcast. So just whatever you want to say. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Sounds great. Well, I do have to start by saying I don't have a fancy microphone, so hopefully you guys can hear me just all right. But um, yeah, so let's see, Tim, Ethan and I, we met um, and uh, it was a really great time to uh, to connect as we were budding entrepreneurs and <laughs> um yeah so let's see we all wrapped up around uh 2018 mid 2018 and um yeah so after um after i i pieced out from cal poly in san luis obispo i uh, i headed to europe for about two what was it two and a half months ish um and did some solo backpacking backpacking in quotes, of course, because I was staying in hostels and I was in cities the whole time. And, you know, just, I had a backpack, but it wasn't like trekking through the woods, but, uh, it was a really great experience. I got to, uh, to visit like 15 different European countries. And that was really awesome. Uh, really awesome time period, but I will say I got super lonely and it was exhausting to go through the spiel of introducing myself all the time to new people and, uh, and just, uh, I don't know. But anyways, that was a, a great time for me to kind of like explore my independence and, uh, and be in a new environment. And I, I loved that. And, uh, and then after, let's see, it was like September 1st, uh, 2018, I, uh, I popped into Baltimore, Maryland. And uh, a few days later, I kicked off a service year with AmeriCorps, which um, it's kind of interesting. Like, I feel like a lot of people are familiar with the, uh, the organization of Peace Corps. Uh, and AmeriCorps is like um, the younger sibling of Peace Corps, um, as, as I've come to describe it. Peace Corps is an incredible organization where people go all over the world and, and, and engage with incredible projects in, in different communities internationally. But AmeriCorps is all focused in the U.S. And so uh, in Baltimore, I had a, a really great year uh, working in the nation's third largest uh, urban wilderness park. And I was uh, at a nature center with some live animals and I got to support the volunteer uh, mission of the nature center. And then um, also got to support a bunch of awesome environmental education in West Baltimore, which was hugely impactful and a uh, very rewarding experience. And I, uh, I got a lot out of that year. But uh, that was my first year on the East Coast, and it was uh, really cold, and <laughs> I had to, to grow a, a thicker layer of skin, and um, I apologize. Am I rambling too much? No, you're doing great. I, I, just, right. <laughs> I didn't want to, like, cut you off. I feel like that first year where you, uh, you experienced winter for the, like, first time, I guess Europe also had winter, but, you know, 
East Coast winter, like you actually get snow and stuff. I was like wondering, as a California kid, how did that feel? Like just that transition? Oh, gosh, guys, I got to tell you, uh, it was rough. <laughs> uh, it's, there's like the one thing of the cold temperatures, but um, the inconvenience of snow can sometimes uh, be hard to wrap my head around. I mean, like stuff really shuts down um, and like it's hard to, to travel by car anywhere or uh, if you're using public transportation, that becomes more tricky. And like, um, I mean, like whole supply chains shut down during winter storms and like that affects supermarkets and like going out to places the pre coronavirus and <laughs> um, all that fun stuff. But the snow is beautiful. And I got to work in a park in Baltimore and uh, watching the seasons, that's a big part of the East Coast, right? The seasons, it's like a, a, a new concept for me. Um, watching the seasons in that park was really quite fun. And seeing all the trees go like dead looking because <laughs> they lose all their leaves <laughs> was, a, was a new experience. I feel like California trees, like most trees in California, keep all their leaves and they don't look dead during the winter time which is quite nice but anyways it was a big adjustment <laughs> it's amazing no i'm looking outside right now and like our trees are fully in bloom uh it's not spring right now but gorgeous out here but i imagine yeah. it's much nicer when you have four seasons uh i so i guess this is my third winter on the east coast now and um i feel like it's just it's a lot there has to be a greater intention about uh, appreciating um, specifically the spring and fall time. Cause those are like the in-between seasons that aren't an extreme because the summers on the East coast are rough. The humidity, that's me throwing up on the audio. Okay. Uh, <laughs> All right, of the humidity. that was vomit. You're welcome. <laughs> Humidity is, yeah, to all you East Coast listeners, uh, I mean, maybe I'm in the, I don't know, maybe people love humidity. It's not for me. <laughs> hey, Teeters, this is Ethan here. I just wanted to let you know that Tim had to step away for a bit at this point of the podcast, and so James and I kept talking, and we decided that there was a lot of interesting things that we discussed, and we wanted to keep it. So from this point on, this is just going to be James and I talking, and Tim will join later in the podcast. But I want to hear more about um, that experience that you said it was AmeriCorps. Mm-hmm. I don't think I really knew that you were like working with like wilderness, you said conservation. That sounds so cool. Yeah, absolutely. I can definitely go back and, and share a bit more about like the AmeriCorps program and, uh, and what I got out of it. Yeah, it, it honestly, it's pretty cool. Um, it's, it's a form of service. Um, it's, it's, it's tough. It, w- it was a tough year. I will, I will not beat around that bush, but um, rewarding. I don't know. I feel like people in like military, like armed services, um, it's like, that's a form of service for a country, but it's like, I don't know, much more intense and like, you know, your life is online kind of thing. But mm-hmm. um, AmeriCorps service, it's like, it's like a job. It, I mean, it's, it is like a job, but um, okay. um, mm. I'm being too big here. Like a stipend, and you're expected to do something for like a like a contract. So you have like a contract. You like a whole year or some some length of time (laughs) where um, you're supposed to do this job that you're signing up for, and you're not really even being paid. It's like the lowest level of pay you can get just to live while you do it. Kind of, am I right? Yeah, yeah. You hit the nail on the head. That's much better than how I was describing that. I mean, I, just, I was looking into it actually because of you. I was like curious, like what Peace Corps and AmeriCorps was. Um, and I was looking into things that might be more fulfilling. And 
there were some things where you could, like teach entrepreneurship abroad and I thought that'd be cool um but the thing that I didn't like was the the pay thing um I mean I get it like it's supposed to be a service so I understand that but then you're kind of trapped in like this other country I don't know it's like a big commitment that's what was scaring me it it is kind of funny uh how they market this uh this program because I mean they phrase it as like service like you're giving back to your country you're you're investing your time and, and really doing a positive thing but like you said the stipend it's it's not a living wage I mean it, making ends meet with that is extremely difficult and uh it, it yeah yeah for me it was a really good way to get some kind of experience on my resume after college because I didn't connect with uh with like a, a full-time opportunity right out of college um, and it was also a really excellent way for me to launch myself on the East coast. Um, and as you said, it's a contract, it's a year long. And so there wasn't like huge strings attached to it. Like if at the end of the year, I wasn't like loving it and getting a lot out of it and like established on the East coast, I could revert back to California. So yeah. Yeah. Um, did you, uh, pursue anything, uh, more serious than just like introductory research with Peace Corps or AmeriCorps? Um, you mean like, a go to a job fair or something or what, what do you yeah, mean? Yeah. Like, like, did you like chat with them? Cause I think they do like, um, virtual, like information gathering yeah. sessions. I, right? I did go to one of those. Um, and that was kind of like where I was learning about. So for me, the international thing seems scary. Like AmeriCorps did sound more like, like, Oh, it's somewhere in America. Like, yeah. yeah. And, um, the things that like, it, for me, it was the job function itself though. Like, I feel like that needed to be aligned with what I was looking for. Um, and the opportunities in America just went like this when the pandemic happened. So I was kind of like, I'm interested in these things, but nothing's really being offered because of our pandemic. So it's kind of back to the drawing board. Last night I had to, so I'm applying for this job. It's called the Good Food Institute. Have you heard of it or? Look it up. It's, it's really cool. It's, um you'd actually really like it it's this company that they're trying to like deal with um like plant-based foods at like a more macro level and so they're trying to talk to like corporations who are looking into um changing to offer more plant-based options like tyson and then also helping entrepreneurs get in touch with venture capital who wants to invest in them and so they're kind of acting as like the middleman to accelerate growth in this industry um and this role is called startup innovation specialist that I applied for and I got past the first rounds so the second round was creating a video a video presentation of like slides that they give you um about like what it would be like if you're giving a pitch to investors and entrepreneurs um about the future of plant-based foods and uh yeah I just finished that like this morning technically at like 1 30 in the morning <laughs> i Ethan, uh, i gotta say that roll off the bat sounds so perfect for you dude yeah I, it's hard because like i don't want to get too excited because i've been applying for a lot of jobs i think i've lost count but it's over 300 now i've applied since i got laid off last year yeah and most of the time you just never hear back or it's just like an email being like, sorry, we went with someone else. And the problem is that like the jobs that are being offered, the ones that everyone wants, everyone's applying for. And so the competition is fierce. Um, and I imagine this is just as competitive as any other job that I've wanted. So 
I'm just hoping that I can get to the next level. I'm just going like one round at a time, trying to like get past this round. Yeah. So Tim Tim was nice. He like helped me with the slide deck last night. That's nice. <laughs> Dude, I yeah, I'm sending you all the best wishes for that, man. I I will say that when I'll repeat this when we're uh, doing the podcast again and we're no longer in pineapple mode. But uh, <laughs> when I went from Baltimore to New York, I applied to uh, just over 200 positions, um, 200 like job opportunities before something finally clicked. Um, and actually two things clicked at the same time. And then I had two options to choose from, which was really cool, but it was a grueling process. I mean, it's so weird, dude. That was end of 2019 and I like every month or so I'll still receive an email being like oh sorry you didn't get this position like well over a year later it's (laughs) yeah but I mean the the emails if you ever do receive an email sometimes like in my experience like it could just be like a copy and paste email like with just insert name like it's so grueling man like you you spend time on the applications and, and like customizing the cover letter and oh god it's oh demoralizing it's a full-time job no doubt oh dude yeah. good fucking luck I'm, I'm fucking stoked for you this is a really cool organization too i i think so too i've i like did so much so i don't i created like a rule like on principle that i wouldn't spend time on an application unless i really wanted the job yeah <laughs> so in a way like i'm happy that i'm spending time on this because i know i want it but at the end of the day like if I just get that generic email saying, sorry, I didn't make it, I'm not going to be happy about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it is what it is. As um, you said, it's not, it's not like the competition never has been this fierce because everyone is looking for jobs right now. So, I mean, can't be so hard, but yeah. when you put a lot of time into an application, you just get that generic email back. Ooh, that's a slap in the face. <laughs> yeah, I know it's, I feel weird because like we we graduated in 2018 and like the job market wasn't too bad like it was fine but we were still like figuring out what we wanted so it wasn't like we had our careers all lined up I think Tim is like the closest person that would have a career maybe because of the amount of time he spent working at Deloitte like it's he's definitely you know working his way up the ladder there um but like for me like I jumped around from startup to working at the like local government, um, consulting, doing like independent work, like um, consulting work. And then, yeah, now I'm like writing a book. So it's like, I don't have a career. <laughs> I've just accepted it. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just following like what makes sense for me at the moment. And this whole idea of a career seems pretty um, outdated, if you ask me. <laughs> outdated, but also like our the pandemic era has, just rearrange so many variables in life i don't know it makes sense to to go with the flow and to pursue what is currently interesting you i mean that makes sense to me yeah well it's it is it is interesting also like i'm back home and some of the jobs that i'm being offered like it's not like i've not been offered anything but Mm -hmm. they want me to show up in an office i'm like seriously we're still in a pandemic yeah you don't even have remote work as an option and it's frustrating because I would have taken a job like that if I was living by myself. Um, but I have to be considerate of my family and everyone wants a remote job. So yeah, yeah. They're, they're even more 
competitive than regular jobs. So that's, that's actually really quite interesting that there are opportunities that are for in-person um, job types. I, uh, so <laughs> I have a partner um, that I'm living with right now. Her name's Kelsey. She just headed out a few minutes ago, but um, Kelsey has a friend who lives down in North Carolina and in North Carolina, the COVID restrictions are loose. They're pretty fucking loose. And um, she's a teacher, this friend. And uh, as a teacher, she's being asked to, um, she has like four options of how she wants to proceed in the like upcoming months. She could, hey, Tim. Anyways, so now back to James, our special guest of the, of the day. So we started off talking about what it's been like since you graduated in 2018. You worked for the Peace Corps, which was, or not Peace Corps, sorry, messed up, AmeriCorps. Um, Peace Corps is like the bigger umbrella organization. AmeriCorps is more specific to American service opportunities. Um, and uh, James was stationed in Baltimore, uh, Maryland, and that was really cool. Um, if you want to talk about more specifics, I, I'm kind of curious what this wilderness conservation um, work was like. Uh, we did talk a little bit more specifically about like the contract and the stipend and that thing, but what, what did you find like fulfilling about that work and what was challenging for you? Uh, excellent questions. I hope I can share, uh, share something insightful, but um, the, uh, the project that I connected with in Baltimore um, was located in West Baltimore, which was the park I mentioned earlier. And um, the park is in a part of Baltimore that has very few uh, natural green spaces. Um, so this one park is like the go-to place if you're looking to kind of escape some of the city hustle and bustle and just kind of relax and uh, connect with nature and just you know have a, a peaceful area to go appreciate. Um, so there were a number of schools that... Um, got to uh, partake in events at the park. And it was uh, kind of cool because the nature center that I was working at was uh, officially run by the Baltimore city government. So it was part of the uh, parks and recreation department. So um, we did get city funding, which was really excellent. Um, but we, uh, we, we got to do a lot of excellent work with introducing um, school aged children to uh, the, some of the, the live animals that lived at the shelter that you can commonly find like in some of the natural areas of Maryland. And um, we also did um, just a lot of natural science education for school groups. Um, and it was kind of interesting. So uh, the, the experiences I got to, to connect with in Baltimore were really excellent. Um, working within the framework of AmeriCorps and um, the statewide volunteer uh, program through the Maryland's governor's office um, was a pretty interesting experience. Ethan, as you had mentioned earlier, uh, living on a stipend was quite difficult and very limiting. Um, pretty much, I, I want to say, uh, I found a very cheap and affordable place to live uh, in Baltimore. Um, and I moved there not knowing a single person, never having visited the city, um, and having spent very short amount of time on the East Coast in, in general. But um, I was able to find a good place to live that wasn't too expensive and about two thirds of my stipend went towards that. And then I had to pay for my uh, transportation to work back when commuting was still a, a common thing <laughs> pre COVID, but um, yeah. And then whatever I had left over, it went to like utilities. So it was definitely a, a good lesson in, in budgeting and making ends meet um, 
because uh, let's see, after taxes, I brought home uh, $5.87 an hour. So um, yeah, not, not rolling in the Benjamins, but that's okay. <laughs> um, I will say that the AmeriCorps program did provide some really uh, cool in-service education opportunities, which was basically just professional development. And that was through the governor's office of Maryland. So uh, there were some cool networking opportunities that we got to partake in. And um, yeah, yeah. Do you have any other specific questions about the AmeriCorps program or that experience in Baltimore? Wait, can I ask a, a dumb question? You said there's yeah. a Peace Corps and there's AmeriCorps. AmeriCorps is part of Peace Corps? Ah, that's a really, so I think they're under the same umbrella of like national service and volunteerism funds. Um, but yeah, the Peace Corps is international and AmeriCorps is just national in the U.S. Ah, interesting. Okay. And so you yeah. were part of AmeriCorps. Yes. Yeah. So I was the national based one. Uh, there's also another time commitment difference between the two. Peace Corps is two year time commitments and AmeriCorps is just one year time commitments or 11 months sometimes. But um, yeah, it's, it is significantly less. Interesting. Yeah. That's also, kind of fun folks in here. Yeah. The, uh, the bar is much lower to make it into an AmeriCorps program. Peace Corps is much more selective. And uh, if you do have like Peace Corps on your resume, like if you are able to connect and get accepted with an opportunity, like that is, is, is quite the accomplishment because the Peace Corps is a, a grueling experience from what I've heard. I mean, obviously hugely rewarding and hugely impactful for communities that have Peace Corps members um, visiting and working in them. But for the members, like it can be a, uh, can be a lot. Wow. That, that sounds like the Harvard of, uh, of social responsibility. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but so let's see, it was, uh, July 24th, 2018 when my, uh, service year wrapped up. I do remember the day it was a glorious day. Uh, yes, it was hot and humid, but that's okay. We were very excited about other things. Wait, and you mean 2019, did you graduate 2018? That's a very good point. Very good point. Thank you. It was 2019. I guess I don't remember the date. <laughs> <laughs> the years fly by. Yeah, they, they run together. But um, yeah, yeah, I guess I, yeah, thank you. 2019 is an important part of the timeline. <laughs> uh, so leading up to July, um, I started job searching like as much as I could every day after work. Um, I was looking at opportunities in New York, New York. And um, I, I, I was just, I was so set on bouncing from Baltimore to New York. I just, I really wanted the, the big city experience. I grew up in like a small suburb of San Francisco and going to Cal Poly was, was nice and mellow and living in Baltimore after Cal Poly was, uh, was definitely like my first city experience. And I liked it, um, but New York was just glamorous and it was calling my name. So uh, I bounced up there in uh, uh, just the tail end of July and um, spent like the first month or so continuing my job search in New York. And then 200 or so job applications later, I finally connected with this sick organization called Parlay for the Oceans, Parlay for short. And uh, Parlay is like, honestly, it's, it's a dream job for me. Um, so it's, it's based on ocean conservancy and, and protecting our oceans. That's like the fundamental premise. Um, and I'm, I actually don't know where the name comes from parlay for the oceans, but every indication seems to be that it comes from pirates of the Caribbean. I don't know, kind of a fun fact. <laughs> um, actually I just recently watched all five pirates of the Caribbean movies with my partner 
pretty entertaining. Although I have to say, I did not appreciate the fourth movie, unfortunately. Which one was that's worth? Uh, I don't know, but the um, the characters Elizabeth and Will weren't in the fourth movie, um, and I feel like they were really important to the storyline. But I don't know. Pirates are kind of fun. So <laughs> isn't isn't parlay a bet? Isn't that what that means? Like I feel like I've seen that in like online betting, where like you can make a parlay and like make it as um, risky as you want, and it increases your odds. So like parlay for the ocean would be a bet for the ocean. Yes. Um, it's funny because I uh, recently learned about how parlay is also a betting term. So Google defines parlay as a conference between opposing sides in a dispute, especially a discussion of terms for an armistice. 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 Uh, so it's um, it's the the middle person, if you will, um, between uh, two opposing sides. Um, so uh, parlay for the oceans. Uh, actually, how does that tie into betting? I guess if you're a mediator, you're mediate like so parlay for the oceans, you and your org are basically the middleman for the earth and humans. Is that like what spot on? Yes, yes. Does that I mean like for betting though, like I'm just hmm. got a big question mark right now. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Like if you're gonna bet on something like the outcome of a horse race, right? You can make a parlay that it would be, oh, this is gonna be first this horse can be first place and this horse is going to be second place. And by picking both of those things, it like, like I was saying, it makes it even more um, increase, increase the odds that you're not going to get it right. And so then your parlay is that, you know, you're, you can overcome those odds. I don't know. I don't know if I'm explaining that well, but. Um, the definition here. Uh, yes, that, that, that does sound perfect. A, a parlay and spelled differently. Um, but a parlay in sports betting is when a better makes multiple wagers, at least two, and then ties them together into a single bet. Interesting. So betting for X, betting for Y, betting for Z, but it's all into one bet. Cool. Yeah. There you go. The oceans. <laughs> for the oceans. Well, anyways, we, um, we uh, so the organization Parlay, um, their main focus is, um, well, it, their strategy is uh, encapsulated into a really cool nifty little acronym, which is AIR, A-I-R. So A stands for avoid. And uh, as of right now, Parlay is uh, trying to implement the avoid strategy by spreading really positive education in our 30 uh, global countries um, where we're working with local communities, we're working with businesses, governments, um, NGOs, everyone we can uh, to uh, spread just information about plastic consumption. So the main objective of Parlay right now is to um, just kind of help our world understand uh, how plastic consumption is detrimental to pretty much everything. And um, the avoid part of the acronym is, is just the first and most important step is to is to help people understand that when you can avoid using plastic, when you can opt for a different material, when you can um, avoid using new virgin material, like that is so important because there's so much plastic ending up in our oceans and our oceans aren't asking for it. <laughs> it, is, it is not chill. Um, so then the, the second acronym of the Parlay Air Strategy is intercept. So we've got a boatload, if you will, bad pun, uh, of plastic already in our oceans. So 
what are we going to do? We're going to go out and we're going to intercept all that bad, nasty marine plastic debris. And then the third part of our strategy is redesign. So with all of the intercepted material that we uh, pick up from beach cleanups, from uh, river interception, we then take that collected plastic and we redesign it into new products that can be used again. So uh, Parlay for the Ocean has partnered with Adidas for several years now. And together we use ocean plastic to produce uh, new sneakers, which have been a huge, huge uh, successful selling point in partnership for Adidas and Parlay. Um, and we also work with Corona Beverages um, to sponsor a number of island cleanups. So we're working in countries that have islands that have tons of marine debris. And uh, we're helping local communities uh, with uh, providing resources and the tools to uh, collect that debris and take it off their islands because they don't, they don't want that. <laughs> so um, I got super lucky getting my, my foot in the door once I arrived in New York and connecting with Parlay. Parlay is based in New York. Um, and then I remember the very fateful day of March 13th, Friday the 13th, 2020, when all of New York came to a grinding stop and the streets were quiet as a feather and the hustle and bustle of New York just evaporated overnight. And it's funny, I, uh, I remember taking the train uh, to work on that Friday morning and um, it, I was on the sixth train uh, from Broadway, 14th Street, uh, 14th street station down to Soho. And, um, the six train literally had six other people in the entire car. And usually there's like, you're in someone's face the whole time. It's usually so, so freaking busy and crowded on these New York subways in the morning. And, um, uh, it was, it was, it was wild, but ever since March 13th, I've been working remotely. And, uh, now I am in Philadelphia in South Philly. And uh, it's been a, a total new adventure here too. So I, uh, I apologize for rambling on for so long, but that's what I'm up to. <laughs> what a journey. Oh my God. I know. Are you still working for Parlay just in Philadelphia? Is that Gratefully, it? yes. Yeah, I, I'm still able to, to work remotely for Parlay. So I'm on the operations team. I support uh, our global and our, or sorry, our global education and uh, interception impact. Nice. That's yeah, it. Do you have, cool. do you have Parlay Adidas shoes? Do you I do them? actually, I do. Um, they're pretty cool. Um, but I mean, they're just like any other sneaker, which is great because I mean, there's a lot of skeptics before Parlay like brought their product to market. A lot of skeptics saying like, you can't use recycled plastic. It doesn't have the same properties as virgin plastic. It's not going to be as uh, structurally sound, but I mean, the, the success of the shoes has just been a huge, um, um, proof of concept if you will so that, that's been a cool part of it the, the shoes are awesome they're badass <laughs> that's so sick i've seen because i've seen like going on the adidas sales on black friday and whatnot looking at the shoes and i would say parlay for the oceans x adidas and it looks just like a normal ultra boost or like a normal nmd um, but it's made out of plastic you said uh yeah recycled plastic so uh, so plastic that we have taken out of the oceans and redesigned into a new uh, viable product so sick Amazing. Yeah, it is cool. It is cool. But uh, that's just that's just me. Um, I'm spending my whole work week just sitting in the apartment, <laughs> looking out the window. Um, yeah, yeah. Thank you guys for, uh, for letting me share. I appreciate that. Yeah, it sounds like you had a really wild journey. I mean, 
even like the way that you were able to find that opportunity with the pandemic and um, now you're able to move to Philadelphia. What's that experience been like? How has Philly compared to like the um, New York and Maryland and all the other places you've lived in? That's so funny because when I was in Baltimore, I never thought that I would stay on the East Coast for longer than a year. I mean, growing up and living my whole life up until 22 in California, I mean, I, I just, I didn't think the East Coast would actually be something I, I wanted to continue. But after I moved to New York, um, that kind of changed. And I, I moved from Baltimore to New York because I wanted the, the grandiose of New York City and, and, and to experience uh, all of that, that just wild energy, nonstop, inescapable energy. But it turns out it was too much energy for me. <laughs> so I lived in Brooklyn and um, thankfully I did not live in Manhattan. That, that would have been much too much for me, but New York was just, was just too much for me. Uh, it was too much energy, couldn't escape. Um, I couldn't find any like peaceful little nook and cranny that I could like catch my breath and have some alone time to myself. I just, it was, it was just too much for me. So um, I actually spent a few months in rural, rural cornfield, Maryland, and, uh, and just a very quiet part of Maryland. Um, and then January 1st, I moved to Philly and, um, I'm actually like quite happy with the balance of Philly. It's, it's a bit more energy than Baltimore, but it's significantly less than New York, which is a, a happy medium for me. And, um, I'm in a part of Philly that is extremely residential uh, but we're still walking distance to, to supermarkets and some fun food stuff, although not able to participate in that, but there's parts at the end of the street. So that's fun. But yeah. Is that Philly suburbs or Philly, like city, city, but it is, it is city, city. Uh, we are as a little fun fact, I'm located exactly one mile South of the American Liberty bell. Um, so Ooh. it is, yeah, I'm definitely in the, the heart of uh, Philadelphia city. Um, but it, it's quiet here. Um, I live on like a one-way street and it's, it's just got some trees and, you know, love that stuff. So <laughs> got to have the parks and the trees. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, Philly, Philly's cool. I'm learning about the city. This is another place that I had spent, um, a small amount of time that I moved before I moved here. Um, and, uh, it's been cool, but yeah, I'm, I think that's all I got to say on Philly right now. <laughs> Okay, wait, real quick. Rank, rank each of those cities: New York, Philly, Baltimore, and then of course San Luis Obispo. Oh, 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 gosh. Um, well, you know, I have to say, I am Baltimore's biggest advocate for promoting a uh, a different narrative than what winds up in our our common media narrative. Um, Baltimore is um, okay. So Baltimore brands itself as uh, Charm City which when I first got there, I was like, what? That's not what I had. Uh, that was not my perspective before I moved there. I wasn't thinking of Baltimore. Hey, Charm City. Yeah, it's a fun place. Uh, turns out it really is. It's got a lot of charm. It's got a lot of like just diehard locals who just love the city and invest all of their being into the city. And there's so much cool art in the city. And uh, Baltimore is, is a great place. Uh, I just, I really want to press that point that my expectations were not met by, um, by the reality there. But um, I would say that I'm appreciating Philadelphia a little bit more than Baltimore because there's a little bit more energy in Philadelphia, it seems. Philadelphia is like the fifth or sixth largest city in the U.S., which was a surprising fact to me when I learned that. Um, but New York, like 
super fun place. I'll give it that. Like great place to go spend some time. If you got friends there, like definitely like use them to, to find all the best local spots that they know of. But um, it was too much for me to live in all the time, especially once the pandemic hit and I was just working in my tiny little apartment bubble because it is apartments there, unless you're like rolling in the Benjamins, you're making some good money. Like apartments are just so small and cramped. And uh, yeah, it was, that was too much for me. Um, but yeah, there's so many fun things to do in New York and, uh, the seasons in New York are a lot of fun too. Cause even when there's like, you know, cold weather out, you can still do lots of fun things inside normally. But, uh, yeah. H- have you guys spent much time in New York? I, I just want to say that that was so on brand for what I, how I know James, the fact that we <laughs> asked you to rank something and you just advocated for each place you lived in. You didn't there was even, no rank. There was no rank. It was like, Every single place I've liked in a unique way. And let me explain why. <laughs> right, you guys noticed. Shoot, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but I, I feel like that, that speaks to my whole little uh, experience leaving California. I mean, like, I, I'm, it's so hard, like, leaving everything, like, we know and, like, saying goodbye to, like, loved ones and all of the places that feel like home and just, like, trying something new. I, I do have to say, like, it's been an uphill battle trying to establish myself on the East coast and like making friends, like, gosh, you know, like leaving childhood friends, like that's hard. Like leaving friends from college, like, gosh, man, like, it's hard, but I don't know, like having uh, people that are nearby on the East coast that I can go say hi to, like, I don't know. It's, it's nice. It's nice. Yeah. I feel like you've done a good job of it too. It sounds like you've really been making the most of your experience there. Yeah. Trying to, but I, uh, I do have to say, I think that, um, I, I was thinking about it. I'm about to turn 25 in two months and that was not on my radar until just recently. I just, I didn't realize I was about to hit that milestone, but I, uh, I don't think that I will be on the East coast for too much longer. But then again, when I went to Baltimore, I never thought I'd last more than a year on the East coast. So I might, I might be, I might be here for a few more years longer, but California just, it, it's got my heart still. I will say that. What about Midwest? You haven't tried Chicago yet. It is so unbelievably cold in Chicago during the winters. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I have one like childhood friend who went out to Chicago and he was saying like it hadn't gotten, gotten below like, I want to say above 18 degrees for like a couple weeks at a time. I, I don't know. I just, I don't think I could do that. that that's, that's a bit too much for me. But then again, it's... Uh, it could be like fun. I feel like the biggest things that I, I've appreciated on the East coast are the spring and the fall time. Cause like I was saying, just right in between those two uh, extremes of the heat and the cold, it's really quite pleasant. And Oh my goodness, during the autumn of like in the, in the Northeast on um, during the, the fall months, the leaves changing, it is, it really is so, so beautiful. And uh, um, I I've done one road trip up to Maine uh, and that was quite fun. We went up to Acadia National Park and then um, we backpacked through uh, Mount Washington in New Hampshire. I think that's what it was. And uh, that was really quite fun. So it's also so interesting because so much of the East Coast is flat. Like when I think of San Francisco, I think of such a hilly, hilly, steep area. New York, flat as a pancake. Uh, Baltimore and Philadelphia, same way, just so flat. I really miss the hills. I'll be honest about that. That's another thing I miss. That's so funny because I would say I 
I don't miss the hills in SF walking up and down them to go to the office. That's <laughs> it was grueling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I still do run a bit. Uh, I definitely don't run as much as I wish to, but then again, I'm sure every person on this planet wishes that they could ex- exercise more. I'm not, I'm, I'm just super basic in that regard, <laughs> but, um, I, I miss, uh, exercising on the hills. I think that was, uh, something that I really loved. And that's why I love San Luis Obispo. It was all the beautiful hills. <laughs> Full circle on that, that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Plus one for every place we've lived in. Yeah. 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 Wondering if we can like transition to like, I feel like some of my most fun memories is in college when you were VP of tours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Um, yeah. Do, do you remember this, Tim, where we would like, James would plan like a tour to like the Bay Area and we all went we like mobbed together as a club like Cal Poly entrepreneurs and something like either went wrong or like it was some Airbnb situation but I actually turned uh I turned 21 and was it I think it was James's basement <laughs> heck yeah. <laughs> yeah it was it was those tours were a lot of fun like the two separate times that we ended up crashing at my parents' house, like the whole group. I think one of those times was because our Airbnb in San Francisco, like was just not what we expected. And there was like someone with like a, a knife or something, or like a, a sword or something like that, like wandering around on some weird drugs. <laughs> yeah, that was SF. That was after I think a conference. We went to HustleCon. Yeah. And then, yeah, we got to the apartment and they there were people on drugs playing really loud music trying to get into a fight with with Eli and them that was a that was a time <laughs> I know. yeah but so Tim went home Tim went back to San Luis Obispo in like this sketchy van with like some other people and then that was where the sword us, came in yeah the rest of us went to James's place as like the backup option and also <laughs> your parents were so nice like um letting us stay there we didn't I don't think we trashed it did we was there any bad no. comments from uh, no 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 bad, no bad reviews from my parents. The hosts were fine. I, uh, I do have to say that every once in a while, our little group picture of all of us on the driveway pops up on a, a wallpaper on my computer, and it makes me happy. That was a really good time. Yeah, that was fun. That's and really then the other, the other one, I think the Airbnb, the host canceled on us. It was like we were driving up there to the bay. I remember I was in the car with you, James, and you got like a message from the host, and it was like, uh, just kidding, I changed my mind. And we're like, we have no other option. <laughs> I I feel bad. I remember how stressed out it was. It must have been hard just to be in that position. You're responsible for so many people. And especially if it's an overnight, like it must have been extremely stressful to figure I mean, that out. I, I feel like the, the VP of tours, uh, the role of VP of tours, like you do as much as you can to, to plan and to secure the variables that you can, but like, it's really the entire leadership board that makes these things, these tours a success because inevitably there are things that go wrong and it's just like brainstorming together. Like, okay, well, solution X, Y, X, Y, let's do it. (laughs) Yeah. Do you remember um, we played poker, I think. And I think you and I, we we got a bunch of like change. We had like over like a hundred pennies and nickels and dimes because we didn't have poker chips. And um, I, I thought that would be a fun activity to play in your basement. Um, but I lost in the first round. <laughs> I thought I was a better poker player than that, but I guess not. And then uh, do, do you remember who won that poker tournament? 
Um, I definitely remember I did not take part in that poker tournament, but I, I, I don't remember who won. It was it was Brett. Brett like clean house. He knows. And then the I just had the funny memory of like him wearing these cargo pants and like stuffing all of the change in every pocket and walking <laughs> around like and it would like jiggle. And so you would hear like the noise and it was like he was mocking us for kicking our butts. But it was so great. But yeah, that was that was a fun memory. Yeah. Yeah. I um I think uh I think it was the last tour that I helped plan. Um Brett paid for the tour uh in all pennies and and dimes and, and nickels and quarters. And it was in a mason jar and he just handed it to me. It was like $15. Here it is. And um it actually turned out to be a huge blessing that he he paid that way because I was able to use that for street parking for years. It was huge blessing (laughs) i wonder if that's how he repurposed that winning the poker (laughs) that's what i was thinking it might have been (laughs) he's he's actually gone around uh doing that with every single poker game and then collected it into the jar for you (laughs) yeah it didn't surprise me he was really good at at poker yeah he's got that methodical brain Mm. oh yes oh yes there were so many tours at CPE, I feel like, um, and you were, you were there for a year and uh, who took over after you again? I'm pretty sure Hans took after me. Does that sound right? Yeah. I think it was Hans. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he crushed it. Um, he took us down to, did he take us to Palo Alto? I think he did Oakland. Isn't that where, Oakland. Cause we, I remember staying at his house. Or his, right. house. his house was so cool. Yeah. His parents were super nice. <laughs> I don't know. That's how things go. It's like every tour, it just ends up going to the VP of tours house. And that's where you guys end up. <laughs> it's in the, it's in the position description. If you accept that role. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One night rent free every tour, please. <laughs> I think it starts off as an Airbnb so that you can be more rowdy. And then if that doesn't work out, <laughs> then I guess you have the backup option. Oh my gosh. And it was Santa Monica. Do you guys remember how cool that was? Um, that Santa Monica, like open barn type thing was. I don't think I went to that one. Uh, it was one that, uh, Hans had planned and yeah, Santa Monica. I don't remember if it was our fourth year. I don't remember, but, um, he found a sick Airbnb, Airbnb after that tour. And then he did a great job of like debriefing all the talks we had that day. It was a really great experience. That's so cool. Yeah, that, I miss those those tours, but um, it was a lot of work. I just remember feeling like exhausted at the end of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So much fun, but you know, you have to like wake up because you have to drive. So we were starting slow or wherever you go, um, and it'd be like a three hour drive, and you have to get there at like start of business, so like eight eight o'clock. So that means that you have to drive from five a.m. till eight a.m. And I, I always ended up being one of the people that drove. So it's just uh anyways. It was fun yeah. times. Yeah, they were definitely exhausting trips, getting up at like four, four thirty, doing last minute packing, getting to the meeting spot, and then oh gosh, sitting in traffic when you're trying to get into these cities from slow, stressful, super stressful. It's the it's the the in-between traffic time that was like one of the hardest things to account for and, and to plan for. Yeah. It's hard, but I think Google allows you, Google maps doesn't Google maps allow you to do, um, like you can, 
get directions from someplace based on uh, like a selected time that you want to go. Does that sound right? Yeah, it's like you depart at like 5 a.m. Like what time do you actually get there? Yeah, yeah. I feel like Google has really excellent um, information to pull from in order to put together a good prediction on that stuff. Yeah, sometimes like we would, um, I remember going, the main ones are Bay Area and then LA. And LA, we would go Santa Monica, like Los Angeles, Los Angeles proper. There's like SF, Oakland, like all these areas. But the hardest one, I think, was San Diego. We had to go literally all the way down. Do you remember? Like we had that San Diego tour. Yeah. And that was an additional like three hours on top of LA. So the driving that day was just ridiculous. Yeah. It was worth yeah. it though. It was worth it. And that, uh, that was another fun one. That was, um, we stayed in Ocean Beach, right? Yeah. Yeah. I honestly, I think that's one of the only times I've ever been to San Diego, which is just wild. I feel like I should have gone more in my life. Uh, I feel like if you're under 21, there wasn't much to do in San Diego. But like post-21, San Diego's gorgeous. Oh my God. Gas lamp. Yeah, yeah. I I feel like a lot of people around our age are like trying to to move to San Diego right now. Oh, really? Yeah, that's that's been an impression. At least some of my friends from like the Bay Area, they've been thinking about um, trying to go down to um, San Diego. I don't know. I'm sure it's worth the hype. I really am. Ethan, that's next up. Let's go to San Diego. <laughs> All right. My, my brother actually goes to San Diego State. Um, and every time I visit him, it's like San Diego seems like such a cool place. It's like slow, but bigger, basically. It's like a, it has that college uh, vibe. Um, also a beach town. Um, just more things to do. So I can see why it's appealing. I got a question for you guys. Looking back, do you feel like uh, the San Luis Obispo, like, uh, level of energy and like level of things to do do you think that like matched up pretty well with what you were looking for uh like around your college years i'll let you take it first ethan me uh i think the college bubble it was fine i think once you graduate from college it kind of loses its um flair because there's like when you're when you're in college like you can basically get away with doing anything plus alcohol <laughs> that's, that's how it works um i i mean admittedly i was sober for most of it but um <laughs> that being said like i think parties like things to do like going like they have bars and so if you had those things you were covered and then there was also like it was a beautiful area like the beaches and the hikes and all that um I wanted to stay there because i loved it so much after i graduated and i did stay there for two years um, and I will say, like, once you graduate, though, like, and you leave that bubble, you realize that San Luis Obispo itself doesn't have that much to offer. Um, it is, like, its own little paradise, but for certain kinds of people. And I feel like I started to see the cracks more living there, and I wasn't going to school every day. It was just, like, a job. And, um, yeah, I don't know. So, for me, I would say that yes, like living in college, perfect town for, you know, that time in your life. I'd say after that, um, the, it kind of pushes you out naturally because everyone moves out. So if more people stayed in their 20s, maybe it would be a different environment. Businesses would cater towards that group more. Um, but because everyone wants to go to a bigger city after graduation, um, San Luis Obispo itself is more of a retirement community than a college town so those are my thoughts what about you too 
No, I gotta, I gotta agree. Um, I think it's so funny how you mentioned you can do anything plus alcohol. That's college and that's fine, right? I think, I, I don't think my interests lined up with San Luis Obispo very well. I, I'm not huge on outdoors. Like I like looking at it. I don't like being in it. Um, and so the hikes and stuff was a little bit challenging. The beach, I, I don't like sand. Um, so like my preference would have been like maybe a city, like going to a college in like Oakland or like a San Diego or something. Um, but I think honestly, like, I think it may do, I would have loved more energy from slow. I think the activities you could do were a little limited um, versus in a place like, let's say um, San Diego is an easy one because you got the beach there and then you have the downtown there and then you have uh, lots of things to do. You get the museums, you get all that stuff, right? And so I think slow is an interesting case where if you're a big fan of all the stuff slow has to offer, it's perfect. It's a step up from like middle of the boonies country, but I think it's a step down from city um, in terms of like energy wise. So I think I, I would have liked more energy, but I, I had a great time in it. I think we made do thanks to obviously the, the, the enjoyable events that we put on, uh, things like that. I think it was solid. Yeah. But afterwards I can see how it's tougher. Yeah. Yeah. I do feel like, um, well, it was very, uh, it was hard for me to leave slow. Um, but I think that was because of the, the people, I mean, everyone that we got to meet while we were there, like that was beautiful and leaving, uh, leaving that behind was hard, but, um, I do have to imagine Ethan that like, if, if I had stayed in, in slow, I definitely probably would have felt very differently, very quickly about the, the place. I was kind of thinking, uh, so, uh, a neighbor of mine back from like when I was growing up in my parents' house, um, she is, uh, six years younger than us, something like that, five, four or five, six years, gosh, I don't even know. But, um, she recently started at, uh, NYU and, uh, her first year was, uh, this past year when the coronavirus hit. And I was thinking about it, like she, <laughs> she was going to NYU, which is in the middle of America's like just most wild city. And that is such a different experience than what we all had in San Luis Obispo. And I just, I'm thinking about when I was 18 years old, I don't know if I could have gone across the country to just America's wildest city and just been in the heart of the action for nonstop four years. Like that's a lot. Like, I don't know. It, I feel like I ended up at a good, like slow paced silence. Best was, it was right for me. Um, but I was just kind of thinking about how, how much of a different experience that, how that must've been for my friend. Um, and also like college years, like those are a very formative time of our lives. Like when we like really spread our wings and fly, you know? And, uh, I just, I feel like that would being in a big city would, would make us into very different people if we had all that energy around us all the time. I don't know. It's kind of interesting. A hundred percent agreed. Yeah. I think what's also crazy is your, your neighbor, uh, she's going during the pandemic. So is she in there in NYU right now? Well, no. So she, uh, she did about half of her first year at NYU. And then, um, I think all the dorms like emptied out in New York because, um, I'm pretty sure, um, de Blasio, the mayor of New York, like just, selected some of the NYU dorms and kicked all the students out so that they could have overflow hospital beds. Uh, there was some like drastic emergency. Yeah. Don't quote me on that. Cause I don't remember exactly how that went down, but basically she had to go back to California to be with her family. And so she missed out on that whole college experience. Could you imagine like, Oh man, I, I'm very grateful to not be 
uh, like in elementary, middle, high school, or even college right now, having to do oh everything gosh. online. Do you guys think that you would do well doing uh, Zoom University? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> I mean, Ethan, your brother's doing that right now. Yeah, both my brother and sister are like doing online classes right now. So my sister's in high school. Uh, my brother is, in, like I said, San Diego State. And um, yeah, both of them are just, it's not the same experience. Like, I always felt that the value of college wasn't in the classroom. Like, it's, it's outside the classroom. So it's the people you meet. It's the extracurriculars all the experiences that you get to have with your friends and like meeting new people, like I said, but um, just all of that just goes away when you have to take classes online. Like there's, and then you can like join a club, but it's not the same as being there in person. I feel like um, also you, you like grow up as a person when you're in college. And I don't just, I just, I don't see that happening now. Like <clears throat> why can't you just go to Coursera or all these other online classes um, where's the value of college now <laughs> and I I say that like the nicest way possible because my brother's in it but um, and I know lots of like millions of people are going through this um, it's just hard for that group because I don't know like I feel like this it's just like how we're talking about if we had gone to a college in a big city versus slow right like imagine not going to college at all right imagine instead of going to college you're stuck in your room staring at a screen trying to learn in a different way that isn't really designed to work. I don't know. Like, do we even know if this works, this online thing by yourself? I, what do you guys think about that? They're going to do studies on this in the future. They're going to look at the children who grew up during this age and like, oh, what years and how does it impact their social development and like mental development and stuff? They're going to get back to us. But I feel like it's going to end soon. You know, like COVID is here to stay, but the vaccines are coming out. It's going to be like the flu. I think after the end of this year, 2022, it's going to go back to normal. But these two years, man, poor kids. I, I have to say, I really hope that we can resume a lot of the special social parts of our lives soon. Um, but I, I wholeheartedly agree. I feel like people who are missing out on social interactions at a young age, like that's going to be, that's going to be difficult. Uh, I think I, I heard somewhere that, um, therapists are in super high demand right now because um, people are just in need of, of, of a way to cope with some of the, the stress that they're going through and isolation's hard too. So um, yeah. yeah, this is definitely going to be a case study for decades and decades, if not millennia. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> they're going to do like city planning around this. They're going to do uh what like public public health it's going to be all over the news yeah yeah what do you guys think about real estate prices for like office buildings do you ever think that we're going to see mega like salesforce type buildings popping up in san francisco ever again because like you know next big pandemic that rolls around and everyone has to go back to working at home whatever if hopefully it doesn't happen obviously but i mean like these companies they invest so much in developing these big buildings. And if they're just going to sit empty, like that's a huge red line on their balance sheet. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. I think we'll still see it. I think, yeah. uh, I think people aren't going to learn their lesson. <laughs> I think the people making the decisions to open up a new, uh, a new office building, I don't think a lot of them are going to learn like the full lesson. 
Um, or if this maybe doesn't happen again, maybe this is just like a single time event. Maybe it's not like a recurring pattern. I think, I think it's, I was just chatting with, with a different friend about this. And apparently the way that, um, that commercial buildings are, are sold and leased and all that is based on like a certain price that they can, uh, they can gain, uh, income from. So if like this building, oh, it's good for manufacturing, but it's during a time when manufacturing is not like happening at all then they can lease it for like less versus like residential and all that. It's all about, oh, that person across the street is paying X, Y, Z dollars for it. Therefore this must be X, Y, Z because it has like an extra roof or something. And so like, it's not compare, it's not like a, a comparative pricing. It's like a, it's a value-based pricing, which is interesting. And so I think as long as there's value in whatever that is, whether it's like a storefront or a manufacturing plant, like I think, I think there's still going to be big buildings. Um, people want that, you know, like everyone wants the Benioff tower. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. I will say, um, uh, stepping back a few years ago when I was thinking about New York, something that just really captivated me was all the skyscrapers. There's, there's a certain ambiance about them that is just inspiring. And I, I don't know. Um, so I, I do have to agree that people, uh, will probably gravitate back to these beautiful big buildings again. <laughs> so rent's cheap right now. <laughs> But then didn't James, you didn't you say like that you didn't like living in New York because you're stuck in your um, smaller apartment and you couldn't go anywhere. And so <clears throat> having like these buildings that are made for business and like, I don't know, I, f- I feel like we have to fundamentally rethink like what it means to work, right? Like, cause I found out working for like at the government level that even these, you know, public, like public agencies that have never done remote work before for certain jobs all of a sudden with the pandemic oh yeah we can do we can flip off flip on the remote job thing like it it wasn't that hard they just gave us laptops we went home we did our jobs like it wasn't it wasn't that hard to change and being forced to change I feel like um, people realize like why did I have to commute why did I have to do all these things just to go to an office where I like, like sit in a desk and then, you know, you're not really working for eight hours. I, at least I can, I'm only speaking for myself, I guess, but yeah, you're not working eight hours. <laughs> <laughs> you like, you do your job and you're done. Right. Like, so when you're, when you have that off time, would you rather be stuck in an office or be at home? Like, I don't know. It's, 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 hard, it's hard to, because I get what you're saying about like the prices of buildings, but I think the part of the conversation that's missing is why do we even have these buildings to begin with? And if it's just a look good, like a status thing, because we can, is that really the best reason to have a, a workplace? Yeah. Can I offer a yeah. counterpoint. Yeah. So I, I actually, I miss going into the office. I really enjoyed going into the office. Um, but that's, that's cause I think from two things from a social perspective and then a, uh, a productivity perspective. Um, starting with the productivity, like going into a room and having someone whiteboard on the board. Oh, this is what we should look like at the end end state of our project. This is what we need doing that. Like at home right now, it's kind of harder. You have to like pull up some kind of software and do it out. Can't really ask the questions you need. You have to ping them and then like, Hey, can I set up a call? Like these kinds of things versus you're in an office. You just tap them on the shoulder. You're like, Hey, I need help with this. Can you show me on the whiteboard? Give me five minutes. Like it's so quick. And I feel like that productivity is just like insanely helpful, you know? Um, and then also the social aspect, just like hanging out with your friends in the office, just seeing people always like a nice place to be and go 
like knowing they're like, ah, okay, today, like might be tough work, but I'll like go grab lunch with a friend. Now it's a little bit harder to do that. You know, it's like, you can do a virtual happy hour, but come on. <laughs> yeah. I really like how you broke that up um, into, into the social and the productivity. I definitely agree with you. The productivity there, I think there are pluses and negatives to that one. Um, for little questions, it definitely is a, a loss of productivity to have to write out a whole Slack message or to like have to set up a call time with someone in the future just to answer a little question. Like that does suck, but also less interruptions. So you're not getting pestered with silly content from someone sitting next to you or something like that. Like you can focus more and just have that that um, a less distracted space. So that is a little plus and negative. But I do have to say the social aspect, like just building camaraderie, like struggling together with people and like overcoming and like winning together. Like, gosh, that's so nice to do in person. And the virtual happy hours, they do not make up for it. The virtual happy hours suck. <laughs> but I have to say like being able to, to, to cut out the commute from the day, that's nice. That's nice. But also the commute's like, you know, a time to either debrief after a long day or like, you know, listen to your favorite podcast, you know, tea talks. Hey, tea talks. <laughs> hey, it depends listen how to... long the, the commute is, right? Because if you're going with a 30 minute commute, it feels okay. Oh my goodness. That was one part of my AmeriCorps experience in Baltimore. I was commuting 70 minutes, one direction. Half of it was uh, on a bus and then half of it was walking through the park to get to this nature center. That adds up. 70 minutes in one direction, especially when it's cold and you have to trek through the park and taking, but oh man, it was a lot. But in New York, I was doing, uh, my door to door in New York was about 20 minutes, which was primo. Loved that. It was just, it's two different subway, uh, subway lines. And it was, it was very nice, but um, I, I don't miss a commute. I, I will say that um, I can still listen to my favorite podcasts and music just on my own time. <laughs> So I, I feel like we have like three different, we're making three different arguments, but at the end of the day, like we are all kind of in agreement. Like if you think about it, like they just should be options. It, should, it shouldn't be that hard. It should be, there's an office, yeah. right? If you want to go to, into work and see your, your work friends, like you should have that option. If you just don't feel like having the commute and you want to stay at home for the day and still get your work done and wear sweatpants all day, that should be an option. And if you never want to talk to your manager in person, <laughs> if you just, that should be an option. If, if you want to keep everything <laughs> to an email because it's unnecessary to have someone tap you on the shoulder. <laughs> um, uh, anyways, I, I feel like I haven't had the best, most positive work environments. So that's probably why I'm so biased here, but I just think all of them should be an option. Like it, you shouldn't be forced to go in the office and you shouldn't be forced to stay at home. Um, but having both options, I think would make for people to be happier, more productive overall, because you can have the best of both worlds. And that's where it's trending. Like we're seeing like companies like Twitter and stuff like Google, they're, they're a hundred percent like on board with this. Yeah. If you want to work from home, you work from home. If you don't want to, you know, come into the office, um, obviously not right now, but when it opens up, they say it will continue. So I, I think we're starting to see a shift. Yeah, Twitter came out like early on in the pandemic and said that they were doing 100% remote work from from now on, right? Or like optional or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Like if you want to stay home, you 100%. Uh. I do have to say, um, I, I I am 100% hopeful that uh, that I will be able to like work out with my managers uh, in order to do like a flexible like 
if I wanted to go in person, then I could. And if I wanted to work remotely, I could, but it would be nice to do a couple of days a week in the office, uh, especially Fridays. I feel like Friday would be really great. Maybe like Monday, Wednesday, Friday in the office would be cool. I don't know. That'd be sick. Cause you don't have to go in every day, right? Like, it's not like you're forced to, you can be like, you know what? Today's, today's a stay at home day. A lot of work got to be productive, stay at home. And Friday yeah. you're like, yep, I want to be in the office. Say hi to people. Let's do it. Yeah. You know, one thing I have to say um, with my work from home experience was I am so grateful that I've been able to really work from anywhere. I mean, I've, I've worked from my parents' house in California. I've worked from Maryland. I'm now in Pennsylvania. Like travel becomes a thing. Like if, if I wanted to go to, uh, I don't know, Costa Rica, for like two weeks, like I could still be online during working hours and get all my work done. And then like on the weekends, I could be in a beautiful new country. Like how cool is that? That possibility is 100% real as long as you have like a good internet connection. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Digital nomading. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, a few of my uh, team members on, well, I should say other teams, but uh, employees, um, they've gone to other countries even, which has been a really cool experience um, for them. So that is a new reality for some people. Ethan and I went to uh, Tahoe. We worked there for like two weeks. That's awesome. <laughs> I think this is where the podcast actually got started. Like we were thinking like, what can we do with our like spare time? And we're just chilling around and not doing anything. Yeah. Well, we started off, it was an MVP and it was us being very raunchy and uh we didn't end up publishing any of the things that we recorded but uh yeah that's where the idea for our podcast started i hope those raunchy moments were still captured on your hard drives <laughs> ethan were they uh it's on anchor so yeah maybe at some point we'll we'll publish them or not only fans i think the only fans was the i don't know we'll see <laughs> hundred dollars oh and you can you can get the uncut yeah. versions <laughs> uh, um how, how are we doing on time james i know we kept you longer than an hour yeah um would it be okay if i sign off within the next like 25 minutes or so i was hoping to uh catch sunset gosh the days are getting longer it's so so nice that the uh that the sunsets are after 5 p.m now oh, finally finally and yes of course feel free to leave anytime in fact, leave right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> all right. So I got some questions for you guys. Um, I mean, just talking about like pop culture, you know, like you guys seen any like uh, cool shows, cool movies, anything uh, that you uh, would love to share? I shared that I recently watched the Pirates of the Caribbean uh, series. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was a good time. Let's see, I'm watching like three things consistently. WandaVision. That's that's pretty cool. The new Marvel show, um, This Is Us, which is more of a family thing, and then uh, The Bachelor, which I was I would not have gotten into it if it wasn't for the pandemic. But here I am, a bachelor person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What about you too? I've been uh, I've been doing Wandavision. I think you recommended Wandavision to me, and so we uh, we watched it. So my fans been watching it. I gotta say it's pretty good. Yeah, like it's it's more interesting than entertaining, but it's very it's very interesting. I have um, not heard of One Division. Is that on like HBO Max or something? Disney Plus. Disney Plus. It's yeah. one of the uh, the Avengers uh, shows that they're rolling out. Um, so like it stars uh, Scarlet Witch, which is Elizabeth Olsen, 
And then it has Vision, which is Paul Bettany. Uh, both really great actors. They've had a lot of experience in a lot of different roles. And now they're actually getting to do like a drama together, uh, which is kind of tight. It's very interesting plot too. I like, it's kind of like has that meta humor of um, Marvel, but in the sitcom space. So like they make fun of like sitcoms from like the nineties all the way to like, I love Lucy. So it's like yeah. making fun of every sitcom like decade after decade. So I like that. Um, also, if you think about it, I don't know if you're, are you into Marvel James at all or? I've seen most of the movies, but I do not think that I should classify myself as a huge fan. Okay, uh, sorry, as, as like a, a dedicated fan. I, I definitely, I, they're very fun. Yeah, the basic idea which you would get is that there's like phases of Marvel, right? And so if you think about this show as setting up the next phase of Marvel, it's actually really cool. Um, like they're setting up the next big villain, which they haven't gone to yet. I'm not spoiling anything, but that's what I've heard from like the people that are very into Marvel and like read Marvel comics is that um, actually, I don't know if I should say anything else because I'd spoil it. Hey, hey no but, spoilers, no spoilers. <laughs> I haven't uh, caught up yet. But yeah, it's, it's really cool in terms of setting up the next phase of Marvel as well. I, yeah. That sounds exciting. I've uh, on the more like HBO side, since you mentioned that I started watching uh, two shows, Succession and Billions. Um, Succession is like, everybody is unlikable in succession it's a good show but it's everyone feels so unlikable do do you guys watch that i do not have hbo max sorry oh so basically it's um it's uh it's like the rupert what is it the the murdoch family it's like a media media head um it's like dad or grandpa he's he's not stepping down from the role and so it's all his kids wanting to succeed him in that role but he's not stepping down and so it's like a bunch of like games like going on right here uh very interesting stuff but a lot of, so of backstabbing a lot of backstabbing oh my god the plots and all that like it's it's interesting it's an interesting show i'm here for it <laughs> <laughs> nice. um on the bit more of a light-hearted side um have you guys heard of the show big mouth on netflix oh yeah nick roll right Yes. Yeah. Um, maybe I'm super late here, but just started season three. <laughs> and, um, gosh, you know, I, I have to say, I, um, if I had watched Big Mouth as a younger kid, I feel like I would have had exposure to so many topics that I'm just now learning about as a mid 20 year old um, in terms of like, you know, how teenagers dealt with stress and like hormones and growing up and the trials and tribulations of, of being a teenager. Gosh, if I had had those big mouth role models, I feel like that would have been really nice, <laughs> but I'm not bitter. Uh, I have to say now though, I am hopeful that uh, younger generations, like they're, they're able to access this, these awesome role models. And uh, I mean, it, this, the big mouth show is so funny, but it, it really does explore a lot of difficult topics. And I, I don't know. I'm just really appreciating the show. <laughs> Do you think you could get into that as a teenager? Like, would you understand it as a teen? Now that's the good question. I have no idea. Uh, maybe some of these topics would have been way over my head uh, if, when I was younger. Wow, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. That's a good point. <laughs> Just because like thinking through, like we get it now, right? like we're watching we're like, ah, that's hilarious because X, Y, Z. Like I'm yeah. wondering like, would, like would your sister, like Ethan, if your sister watched Big Mouth, would she get it? Yeah, I think the... The teenagers of today, they're learning things way faster than we did. The internet just makes it 
way more accessible even if they're not the ones like actively seeking it out their friends are learning it and telling them about it so um i'm not gonna talk too specifically about my sister but yeah the fact that like she and i can have adult conversations already about these topics like big mouth is more of a making fun of the fact that that's not the case like it's it's i don't know like i'm trying to think back when i was a teenager even though the internet was like and social media was still like just starting i always felt like i knew a lot of this stuff because of the people i was around and like what i could talk about and ask questions about like it just now it's just like you don't even ask the questions it's just instilled in you and um i don't know i feel like big mouth is it's funny because it's not the case. I really don't. I, I see it as funny because it's like, oh, haha, that's that would be funny in like a reality where um, people were that awkward about it when it's just the norm, you know. That's a good point. I I don't have any siblings, so I'm glad to hear that sibling perspective. Uh, I should say younger sibling perspective, and that makes me really happy to hear. <laughs> um, um, also, cool how you and your sister can be open about that. That's. That's really dope. I think having that open channel of communication, especially with you being the older brother. I don't give myself too much credit. I think it's mainly my mom. (laughs) I'm I'm just more of like the, uh, I live here and I hear over here things. (laughs) That's that's how I see it. Um, But what else? Yeah, I guess what other pop culture? I know we don't like go into the movies anymore, but have you seen any movies recently that like have been interesting to you? Um, good question. I would say, sorry, Tim, do you want to um, share anything? I just miss the movie theater. That's all. I haven't seen any crazy movies, but I miss the experience of going into the theater. A big scene shows up. Everyone in the theater laughs or reacts the same way. Getting that overpriced popcorn, filling it with butter. Those are the times. You just painted a beautiful picture. It makes me feel very reminiscent as well. Oh, 2021. It's different now. <laughs> Yeah, it's such a fun event to go to the movies. I, I and the big screen, the big audio. It's such an immersive experience too, with the big comfy seats, and it's an event. It's like something I look forward to. But you know, that will definitely come back soon. That'll be like one of the first things I go do again once I can go be in public. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> um, from my side, have you guys heard of the movie on Netflix called um, Malcolm and Marie? Um, What's that about? Um, so the premise is. Uh, okay, and I will make sure I don't do any spoilers. Uh, premise is it's uh, a couple in LA and um, it's a, a guy and a girl. Guy is a uh, director, a film director, and uh, he just released a movie. And the whole plot of Malcolm and Marie takes place in just one night and it's all filmed in black and white. And it is a intense but captivating um, uh, storyline, I guess I should say. Um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's really well done. It's a very well done movie, um, and cinematically beautiful as well. So would recommend Malcolm and Marie on Netflix. Cool. What's, can you give like a one sentence, like synopsis, no spoilers? Oh, no spoilers. Uh, um, um, overcoming, um, um, uh, being able to have a respectful conversation when hurt feelings are everywhere, I guess, is, is, a, is a 
decent. No, no, I'm sorry. I'm not going to say that's a decent way of putting it. It's worth a watch though. I'm sorry. The internet will be able to provide a much better synopsis. <laughs> no, it sounds interesting. I can wait. Yeah. Yeah. And I believe it just came out at the beginning of this year and it's like nominated for something or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. I have to give it a shot. I am. Uh, I'm currently wrapping up a book right now. Um, it's called just mercy and it's by an individual, a lawyer named Brian Stevenson and Stevenson, I believe is his last name. Uh, basically he is a civil rights lawyer. Um, uh, well, actually, no, he's a criminal. Uh, he, he advocates for individuals who are on death row. Um, and he's working right now in Alabama and uh, some of the lower Southern states in America. And he basically visits uh, people who are uh, on death row and provides them free legal counsel in order to challenge their prosecution and um, he has helped a lot of people get off death row and he has made a huge impact. And so it's, it's quite, um, it's quite the story. It's called Just Mercy. Um, and I think, I think the, his work began in the seventies and his organization, which he founded is called the Equal Justice Initiative, EJI. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think I'm going to try and read um, Barack Obama's book next. I got it for the holidays. Very nice. Very nice. Can I add a recommendation? I've I've been reading a book called *Man's Search for Meaning* by Viktor Frankl. It's a it's a dude who was a, I I forgot he was like someone in Auschwitz or or a Holocaust camp. Yeah. But essentially, like, oh, do you know it? Do you have it? No, I've just I've heard of that book. It's a Holocaust survivor, *Man's Search for Meaning*. Now you can find meaning even in the Holocaust when you're like, yeah. Anyways, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say it's it's a very interesting book. It talks about like how someone like found meaning in the worst places. Um, yeah, just very interesting. It's not too long either. I've, yeah, thank you for, for re- uh, recommending it. I've got it up here on my uh, Google search. But I will say um, I've usually gravitated more towards uh, nonfiction. And over the last year or so, I've been trying to focus more on, on uh, sorry, sorry. I've in the past focused on uh, not, uh, fiction. And in the past year or so, I've, I've been focusing more on uh, nonfiction and uh, I'm appreciating this part of the, my literary journey. <laughs> it's tight. Yeah. Got to explore. Yeah. 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 Search for me. Very cool. Yeah, I don't really read for fun anymore. I just, <laughs> I do. It's like research reading and um, I like a bunch of books. I'm like Bitcoin that are just always <laughs> something i have to read now <laughs> so yeah anyway well you're not reading but you are writing well you have to read in order to write like it's i didn't realize this going into it but i've been in so many hours of research just to write like every paragraph i write there's like a whole like article or book i have to like read through to like be able to explain it in a paragraph it's just so much knowledge i if you guys ever, ever write a book, like you'll you'll start to appreciate how hard it is to just connect ideas like succinctly. Yeah. Have you um, have you found that as you're writing your book, um, new information has come out or contrary information has come out that like contradicts what you've already written down? Do you find yourself having to like revise stuff that you've had um, that you've added to your book so far? Not exactly. So. I, to be to be uh, completely honest, like I've only written my first draft, so I haven't really done too much revising yet. 
that's actually the next stage of my writing but when I do revise things like I will have to like fact check myself um when I write things I actually I'm talking about the contradictory opinions as well so I'm addressing them as they come up because I don't want to have to do like what you're saying where it's like oh no I have to backtrack because I'm wrong I just tell I tell like both sides of the argument or if there's multiple opinions and it's not just my own um I like to be very clear about that so that I'm not misleading anyone um I don't consider myself an expert like it's I don't think writing a book makes you an expert I think it's just me doing research in rabbit holes and writing about it as I'm doing it it's like it's not like every chapter is a new rabbit hole that I go down on the internet and I come out of it like with my own ideas but it doesn't mean that it's 100% like an expert opinion it's just you know something I found interesting and I want to share with the world um so yeah all of those things have like when I read now I look for certain things that like has changed my perspective on reading because I appreciate now like the amount of work that it takes but also I can look for things like this story isn't very good <laughs> I I really I really do um it's it's like when you're a stand-up comedian and like you just can't laugh at jokes anymore because you're dissecting it that's how I feel now reading books I'm like I, I can't enjoy this the way I used to because I know like behind the scenes how it works. That uh, seems like a pretty cool insight to have though. I don't know. It's, it's, it's fun. You should, you should definitely, I feel like everyone has a book in them. It's really not that hard to write a book. Um, I would say getting published is a whole different beast, but writing itself like isn't that hard. Like you graduated from college, both of you. So you obviously have what it takes. <laughs> Yeah. Can you, CBD. how difficult, how difficult is it to get published on like Amazon or something like that? There are Amazon like self-publishing services. So it's actually not hard. Um, if you want to write a quality book though, and have it be successful on Amazon, that's a whole different story, right? Writing a book, like I can write an ebook on Google docs, post it on Amazon. Maybe no one reads it, but that process exists if you want to become like the number one seller on Amazon, that's, that's a, it's a different conversation. Hey, hey. Well, I will say, uh, speaking of Bitcoin, um, I invested in Bitcoin in uh, December of 2017. Um, and I want to say it was around 11,000 back then. And I have forgotten about my Bitcoin over the last couple of years and just let it sit in my Coinbase Thing. And uh, recently, when Bitcoin topped out around forty-eight thousand, I want to say, um, I, I sold at forty-six thousand, and um, it was it was exciting. I it was like something that I'd just been sitting on for so long, and it was uh, it was rewarding to finally cash it in. Uh, it was it was a good experience. <laughs> nice, you did it right. <laughs> if, that's- that's uh it's hard to do to sit on something that long and um and it wasn't just like all up it was also like it fluctuated so yeah uh, i'm gonna reinvest it once bitcoin cools back down right now yeah wait for the ride back to the top heck yeah (laughs) i'm hoping gamestop does the same thing because i bought at a not great price (laughs) and it is now 40 so i want to wait for it to rock it back up Yes. Yes. Come on, GameStop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, GameStop and AMC. 
We'll see. <laughs> are, you, are you part of Wall Street Bets, Tim? Yeah, Ivy got me into that <laughs> like a year ago. Um, it's funny because that GameStop phenomenon, it's like the pump and dump thing. I will say the main difference, though, is that they, they're trying to short squeeze these um, giant like investment firms. And that doesn't exist as much with Bitcoin. But um, I don't know. I feel safer buying Bitcoin for the long run than like GameStop because GameStop has, is like a business that isn't doing well. Like the fundamental value of GameStop stock is based on like how their revenue is doing. So even though there's this whole other dynamic going on and like the speculation of it, like the fundamental fundamental asset, I don't think is going to just skyrocket unless GameStop does something revolutionary that I don't know. They're a retailer and they don't do online. So <laughs> it's not doing so hot right now. Yeah. And the PS five and the newest Xbox, they like they're selling models that don't even have discs. Right. So you just download stuff directly off the internet. Like yeah. doesn't that cut GameStop entirely out of the picture? You don't need to go to the store. You don't buy discs. You don't like, what do you do at GameStop? Like there's nothing. Yeah. And like, 25, sorry. It is the next blockbuster. Yeah. It and is. If you think about it. I hadn't thought about that comparison. That seems spot on. And, but I mean, like in 25 years, when people who aren't even born yet are listening to your tea talks, I'd be like, wait, what? You guys used to have these disc things? Like, what? <laughs> Computers. Like, you mean there weren't what? chips in our brain? <laughs> Weird. So I got one last question for you guys. Have you guys heard of uh, Clubhouse? And, and or are you guys on Clubhouse? And if so, what are your thoughts about Clubhouse? Othul, Ethan, you know him. He's oh. on Clubhouse. Oh yeah. Um, a mutual friend is apparently it's like an exclusive social media network. I know nothing about it, but his mom's on there and he's trying to get on there. Uh, that's all I know. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. Alexa actually sent me an invite to Clubhouse, um, but I own oh, yeah? zero, I own zero Apple products. I'm not an iPhone person. I think Tim is the same way, and it's exclusive right now because it's only available to iPhone users. So. Oh. I even though if I I would be interested to hear Elon Musk troll people live. Um, <laughs> that sounds like fun to me. Uh, I can't <laughs> participate unless I buy an iPhone, which I'm not going to do. So I have yeah. two work iPhones. Um, I can give you one. I'm uh, joking. <laughs> you got two work iPhones. <laughs> I, I was supposed to return one, but they uh, they let me hang on to it until the pandemic stops, and then I have to return it. Oh, because they just don't want to accept that in-person device? Yeah. <laughs> Download Clubhouse on your iPhone, and then I'll give you my invite so you can try it out. <laughs> Wait, so how does Clubhouse work? What, what's the deal with this? I believe, um, oh, well, so the premise is um, it's like a uh, an audio-only uh, social media platform. So you can get on, have your microphone live, and just talk and talk and talk, and then people can join in. It's like a live podcast, I guess. Um, people can join in and hear what you're talking about, ranging from religion to music to investments to politics to climate change to everything. Um, and it seems like there's just hundreds or there's tons of new groups popping up every day. But it's really cool because like you can listen to these incredibly uh, influential people, like these really cool people, just live as they're just talking about things and doing their daily life. So um, it seems like it's also a really excellent place uh, to foster collaborations. 
because um, it's all remote and people can just log on and start like small rooms with a bunch of really cool people and then anyone can join and listen in. So I think that's the, the, the premise um, in a nutshell, but yeah, it's, it's, yeah. So in order to get on the platform, as you said, you have to have an iOS device. And then um, I believe every current um, active member has two invites. And so they can only invite two people. So um, it is growing quote unquote slowly because um, you can't just invite infinite people. You can't invite everyone in your contacts or whatever. Um, it's like a, a, an exclusive thing. So I don't know. I haven't spent too much time on Clubhouse. I will say um, I, I'm sure that a lot of people will get a lot of value out of it though. Yeah, so what I've heard, it's like a conference style thing. Like if you think, if you go to a conference, there's a panel of people talking and everyone else is in the audience listening. They basically turn that into a net social network. So yeah. if you, Ethan, you have a code, right? So if you, let's say you join, you download it. Are you the one speaking? Are you like on the panel or are you an audience member? I think I'm an audience member. I think you can create rooms where you are the panel probably, but um, I think the idea is that only people who have something worth talking about get to talk. <laughs> okay <laughs> so there's some exclusivity yeah it's like it's tea talks in like two years and then when you have hundreds of millions of people listening all the time that's when you're gonna have your dedicated channel on on clubhouse you mean two months in the future right did i say two i meant two days i'm sorry uh, <laughs> <laughs> right on the horizon we're gonna we're so gonna interesting use iphones to start our own clubhouse <laughs> You guys, you guys have to make this a, a business and then just write them off against the business. Oh my God, smart. It's great for tax too. <laughs> I know. Here, here, you can use one of my invites. I didn't realize I get two invites. Tim, just invite yourself through me. I just haven't created an account yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get an iPhone. Uh, I, I would, but then I would be like conforming. I don't like conforming, so... Oof. not gonna do that <laughs> nothing's worse than conformity um i know james said he had to go watch the sunset which sounds nice um yes. so i just want to end by saying thank you so much james this was an amazing catch-up and conversation i miss you i wish you weren't on the east coast but you know watch the seasons for us california kids <laughs> um, yeah i i want to say thank you guys so much um yeah, I, I miss both you guys. I wish there wasn't 3,000 miles of distance between us. Um, but being on here, freaking awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, we should thank you for coming on and catching up with you. It's been so long. And so hopefully we can do this again in the future. We'll have like massive tea talks where like a bunch of our guests come on at the same time. We can have Alexa here. We can say hi to like new people. Um, but this is tight. Thank you so much. <laughs> bringing it bringing it back full circle it's like um the snl uh intro monologues and the the guest gets to like be like oh this is my first time on snl oh this is my third time on snl it's such a privilege to be back this is how i feel right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah this has been awesome it's 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 great to hear you guys and and uh and to hear everything that's going on just to to kick the or just to hang out <laughs> well yeah We'll do this again soon. And it sounds like we're moving to Clubhouse. So you're welcome to join us on our panel. <laughs> um, Thank you. But uh, yeah, just uh, keep
keep enjoying life. I just, I feel like my takeaway is that you're killing it. You're just doing, you're following exactly how I imagine your, your life would be after college, which is just being your true self. Um, and, you know, that's, that's like the, that's my takeaway for like life. I think also, I don't know about Tim, but you know, there's a lot of opposing external things that go in your head and it's nice when you have like a true like compass, like pointing towards the North. And I always felt like James had like a very strong North star. Um, anyways, I, I like to end with like sappy stuff. I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> now I, I, I have to say that you guys have created an incredible space here. And I feel like you guys are going to have the opportunity to connect with so many amazing people that you bring on as guests. And I feel like this is an amazing way for you guys to, to stay connected and to encapsulate each episode, what's going on in life. And uh, this is going to be so valuable as you look back in years to come. Yeah, that's the hope. Thanks so much for hopping on. I mean, like, we'll, we'll definitely put this in the archive. <laughs> <laughs> And delete. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we weren't recording the whole time. Oh, uh, what? <laughs> we <told> you. <laughs> Surprise, we were just catching up. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's all good. <laughs> nah, no, nah, it's awesome. So when, uh, when are you guys going to, I'm assuming it takes a bit of time to work through the editing of these. Yeah, I'll probably, whenever I make this a priority, it takes me about like a week or so to go through it. Um, and then publishing it actually is really easy. So it only takes like, I don't know, I can, so I, once I upload it to Anchor, um, it automatically uploads to like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and everywhere. So it's pretty, uh, pretty cool innovation podcasting is that it is. Yeah, well done, Anchor. All right. Well, cheers, guys. Thank you very much. And please, if there was any like weird charge with um, with Zoom, please just let me know and I will Venmo right away. Yeah, it was a thousand dollars. You can Venmo me at. Uh, we we need the money that now. Off. Actually, yeah. can we write that you, off on the business account? How much did you make with Bitcoin? You can just send me all of that. <laughs> <laughs> it won't cover that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're you're too nice. It's we're good. Um, I, if anyone has to pay for it, it's Tim. So. <laughs> All about that cash money with my GameStop stocks, you know. You just you gotta sell your second Deloitte iPhone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and make an extra thirty dollars. Will do. Uh, <laughs> all right, guys. What's yours? Right. Thank you again. All right. all right. Thank you guys. Have a great one. Great seeing you. So Peace. Nice. Peace. Bye, guys. All right. Take care. <laughs> have a have a nice sunset. <laughs>